you guys have been with us for the last two years, at some point in time, we've been going through the book of John, and we finally concluded that last week. So we're starting something new today, and Pastor Aaron's going to come share with you guys what that's about. It's going to be an awesome series. It won't, be, it won't be two years. Maybe it might be four. I don't know. But it won't be two years. And so right now, I'm going to invite Natalie to read from the book of Jude. This is God's word from Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To, show, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his holy with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Natalie. Good morning, church family. How are you? You guys good? Uh, If you're new... Uh, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're new, I want to deeply apologize for Myung going off script and doing that whole church meet and greet thing beforehand, uh, particularly to the introverts, okay? Uh, I know that that is like the introvert's nightmare. I'm a raging extrovert, so I'm beyond happy that it happened, but out of pastoral love and empathy, uh, I just want to apologize for you. The prayer team is available after the service if you need support and love in that way, but uh, yeah, that was completely Myung's call. He didn't even tell the rest of us he was doing that, so yeah, you can go find him at the Connect desk afterwards and tell him what you think about that. And as Myung mentioned, we are starting a new sermon series today. It will not be four years long. It will be six weeks long by God's grace. And it's a sermon series called Things That Are Hard to Do. And here's the basic idea behind this series. As we follow Jesus, uh, Jesus calls us into a life of sacrifice and a life of discipleship. And how many of you know, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, there's some things that are hard to do as we lay down our lives for Jesus. In fact, I would go so far as to say Everything that Jesus asks us to do is beyond our abilities in the natural, and we need his supernatural, empowering grace. And so we, as the elder team, discussed this a few months ago, and there were some things on my heart that I wanted to teach. There were some things that the elder team, we felt like, hey, this would be good to teach. Uh, there were some things, just kind of put it out on social media and, and, and emails, people that sent in, uh, members of the church sent in some suggestions and ideas. So here are the next six weeks for us as a church. Here are the topics we're going to address. Today we're going to talk about the idea of holding people accountable. And that can be hard to do. Next week, we're going to talk about the idea of singleness. That it can be hard to be unmarried in a church like ours, where whatever it was two, three weeks ago, we dedicated approximately 1,100 children. Uh, You know, lots of families, lots of married people. And, And for those of you who are unmarried, it can feel challenging to be a part of a church like that. And actually, it can be challenging for those of you who are married, for those of us who are married, to love single people well. So we'll address that next week. The next week uh, after that is it's hard to think biblically on the subject of sexuality. And because, I said this before, but because I'm such a brave and courageous pastor, I invited a guest preacher that week. 
uh, our friend Justin Anderson, who came out earlier in the year, church planter in the Capitol Hill area, uh, when I'd sent out this list of topics to different friends and asking for people who might want to come, he said, I want to do uh, the one on sexuality. And so he's a wise and gracious pastor. I really trust him. I'll be here for that to sit and listen and learn as well. And if, if this topic of sexuality wasn't challenging enough, let's talk about race in our culture. And again, out of pure courage, uh, I invited Rabbi Matt Rosenberg to come and teach that week for us, a good friend of ours. So he'll, uh, he'll be here to teach on that week, on that subject. And then uh, the last two, I'll be back for those two, uh, understanding the end times. How many of you are like, nope, got it, totally nailed it, don't need that sermon, I understand it all perfectly well. And then we're going to wrap up, it's hard to love your actual neighbor. That's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. Some of you look at that like, that sounds like a lot of things that are hard to do. Yes, it is. And by God's grace, we will take steps forward together, not thinking that one sermon is going to be what fixes all our problems or makes us be completely and totally matured, but that we can continue to take steps in growth and maturity and wholeness because our Savior calls us into those places and he gives us the grace that we need. Amen? So with that said, let's pray and let's talk about accountability today. Will you pray with me? Jesus, it's hard to preach. Uh, it's impossible to preach in any sort of way that's life transforming without your spirit. And so I am pleading with you, God, would you send your Holy Spirit to empower the words that I say, to bring uh, the words of the scriptures to life in all of our hearts and our minds. And God, uh, it, I want to speak those things that are truthful and that would be helpful and would build us up. God, it can also be hard for us to lower our defenses and our guards. And so I just pray right now that you'd soften our hearts. You'd help us to lower our defensiveness so that we might hear the truth that you want to impart into our hearts and in our minds. God, I ask and I pray that these, these next few minutes together would be challenging, would be reassuring, would be comforting, and that most importantly, we would be grounded in the gospel of grace, the gospel of love, that Jesus died and rose again, that we might have our sins forgiven, and that we're free to enter into these conversations, these difficult things, because Jesus has already gone before us. We pray all of this in his powerful and precious name. Amen. The uh, conversation that I had actually three different times in the last week and a half or so is the conversation around wedding vows. I'm a pastor, I do weddings, and, and it came up a few different times. I met with a couple who is going to get married this fall, engaged couple, and we got to the part where I you know, learned their story and heard about kind of how they met and how they met Jesus and all those great things. And I said, hey, let's talk about the wedding ceremony. And we got to the part about the wedding vows, and I just said, hey, you know, here, here are the wedding vows that I use, and I, I kind of bring it up gingerly. I said, you know, plan on using these vows and uh, they're like, oh, that's fine. We weren't going to write our own vows anyway. And I said, okay, that, that's good because um, I don't like it when people write their own vows. <sighs> because when people write their own vows, what they usually write are not vows. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like 10 out of 10 times, people say, oh, I wrote their own vows. And then what they do is they get up and it's a nice expression of sentimentality, but it's not a vow. It's like, you know, when I met you, I knew that I'd never see the moon in the same way again. It's like, oh, it's sweet, poetic, but that's not a vow. That's just a mushy expression of sentiment. So I met with this couple, and, I and they were like, we wholeheartedly agree. This is fine. They were very, let's do this. Let's make vows. I'm like, awesome. All right, good. The next morning, 
I get an email from a member of our church. Actually, is Cameron here? Where's Cameron? You sent me a Facebook message. I saw him walking in. Uh, he sent me a Facebook message. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm out of state. I'm in my friend's wedding. The wedding is tomorrow, but he didn't write his own vows like he said he was going to. I was like, well, here are some actual vows that you can use free of charge. Here you go. And uh, so I sent those and he's like, yeah, that's writing your own vows is just never a good idea. I'm like, I know. Literally that same morning, Davin, who serves on our financial accountability team, he was meeting with Dale at the office, talking through some stuff about a possible you know, building thing that's kind of come on our radar screen. And they're talking, they're meeting, goes, by the way, Pastor Aaron, I just need to, I need to ask you, uh, I got asked to perform my son's wedding. So what do you do? Like, print me off. I need to know what you say, how you do it, what you did. And so the subject of wedding vows came up over and over and over again. And every single time I said the same thing. I don't let people write their own wedding vows because I mean like that. But also because it seems to me inevitable at some point in the course of marriage, conflict will come up, challenges will come up. And being able to go back to those vows that were made can be a really healthy and helpful and life-giving thing to help couples kind of push the reset button and say, what is, it, what is it that we actually vowed to each other? You know, Jesus, in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says things like, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He, he says, don't make grand promises, don't swear on Jerusalem and swear by the, the hair of your beard and swear on, you know, on a stack of Bibles wrapped in an American flag. He didn't actually say that, but it's like that kind of a thing. Like, don't, don't go over the top with your vows. Just be a person of your word. Be a person who's trustworthy, who's reliable, who can be held accountable for the things that you say. Now, I, I am well aware that in this room, as I start to speak about the subject of accountability, there are likely two different types of people who are having a reaction to this. One, one group is in the minority. It's a smaller group, but it's the people who, when you hear me bring up the subject of accountability, you're like, yeah, get them. Okay, you need to calm down. I love you. We're gonna, I'll get to you in a minute, okay? But just breathe, okay? Breathe. For the vast majority, for the vast majority of you, I see a lot of people like elbowing their spouses when I say that. For the vast majority of us, the thought of holding someone accountable can be really challenging. Especially for those of you who have a very merciful heart. You have a tender heart. You are by nature more empathetic. You're, you're wired towards compassion and grace and empathy. And those are amazing and good and God-given traits that I would never in a million years want to diminish or ask you to set aside. What I would simply ask you to consider is this. You don't want to live in a world that doesn't actually have accountability. Just think in like the simplest, simplest sense of the word. You don't want to live in a world where someone could commit a criminal act and they're not held accountable. You don't want to live in a world where politicians are not held publicly accountable. And I know some of you are thinking, I feel like I already live in that world. I get it, okay? Some of you, it's like you don't even want to live in a world where your sports team isn't held accountable, right? Try to imagine... Try, really go out on a limb with me. Try to imagine living in a city with a team that just loses a lot, okay? And, and you hear people say like, the, the coaches need to be fired and the managers need to be fired. Right? Here, I heard this on Sports Radio. The players need to be held accountable. You don't want to live in a world that doesn't actually have accountability, but for some of you, it's hard to get over that hump of feeling like, is this really loving? Is this really a good and gracious thing to do? 
And if we understand the gospel, my premise today is this, that true accountability is built upon the foundation of the gospel. If we have a true and deep foundation of the gospel, we are then free to both make ourselves accountable and practice accountability, knowing that we are loved by God in Christ Jesus and that we can speak these words to each other with a heart of love and it can actually be a true act of grace to hold somebody accountable. Let me, let me do a little definition, okay? When I say accountability, some of you, and by the way, accountability for those of you who are raised in like a church environment, how many of you know that accountability can sometimes go real weird, real fast? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I, I, I won't name names, but there is a church that I have firsthand knowledge of. I actually uh, attended the youth group of this church for a season in my life, and I found out that one of the things that they did to practice accountability in their church is when they would do membership interviews, they would talk about tithing, they would talk about giving. We, when we do membership interviews, we do, we talk about tithing and giving. We as Sound City, we don't believe that a 10% tithe is a biblical law, but it is a practice and it is a wisdom that is given to us in the Hebrew scriptures. In fact, we as New Testament believers are called to go beyond a 10% tithe. It's a good starting point for the discussion. And so we, we talk about that. But I heard of a church that when they did membership interviews, they would bring their giving records and they asked people to bring their pay stubs so that they could pair, compare and see if 10 actual percent was being given. Just so you're aware, that should elicit the murmurings and whistles that it just did. That's weird. So some of you hear accountability and you're, you're instantly like your guard goes up, you're fearful. Let's, let's talk about the definition and let's talk about what I, what I mean and what I believe the scriptures mean when we talk about accountability. Just in a general sense, first of all, there's a commitment or an expectation. You make yourself accountable by making a commitment. The example of the wedding vows I used earlier. The example of a group of guys to come together and say, hey, let's hold each other accountable in our uh, struggle against uh, sexual lust and temptation or, or the, the, the great evil of pornography or, or a group of women who are gonna come together. Hey, let's hold each other accountable in, in motherhood and how we parent and let's point each other to the gospel, right? That, that commitment. Or there can just be an expectation. Just an expectation, uh, the expectation is, as citizens of Snohomish County or King County, depending on where you live, that you will abide by the traffic laws. You will not speed. Now, you did never show up and swear your loyalty to, you know, the county and said, I will not break the speed limit. But just by virtue of being a, a resident of this area, there is an expectation on you to not break that speed limit law. Second part of accountability, some sort of evaluation, some sort of answer, some sort of reckoning. I have a church credit card. Uh, I know I lost my wallet a few weeks ago. I found it. I have it back and I have the church credit card in my possession. The financial accountability team has granted me that trust that if there's things for the church, if I'm going to go meet with somebody, you know, for a, uh, for a lunch, or if I'm going to go out and you know, purchase some stuff we need for, for the church, I can use this church credit card. But every single month, one of the members of the financial accountability team sends me an email and it has a record from Wells Fargo of every single purchase I made on that church credit card. And I am required by our bylaws to provide a receipt for every single one of those things. It is very stressful and I hate it. And it is the least favorite part of my job as a pastor, but I do it because I have to give an answer. In fact, this last month, this is the worst. The only receipt that I didn't turn in was a parking garage receipt to go visit Pastor Shane in the hospital. 
I'm doggone it. I was, being re- I was being a really nice pastor and visiting him, and I lost my receipt. Okay. Some sort of evaluation, some sort of answering. You have to, you have to give a reckoning. And then, lastly, consequence or reward. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Some sort of consequence is set in place. Or you did do what you said you were going to do, and there's a reward. There's a, a joy. Y'all track with me on this? By the way, one more differentiation. There is a differentiation between relational accountability and transactional accountability. You know, I talked about uh, uh, um, you know, a group of people, a group of men. We're going to make ourselves accountable to each other. I'm going to make a commitment to love you and walk with you and all those sorts of things. Uh, the police officer who pulls you over for a speeding ticket, that's just transactional accountability. That, that, has, that really doesn't have any bearing. If you get pulled over, you get a speed, speeding ticket, you are going to maybe feel bad about getting a speeding ticket, but it's different than when someone from your small group or your wife or someone that you know and love shows up and says, hey, can we talk? I need to hold you accountable for this, that, and the other thing. Do you guys understand the difference? It's, it's why things can be so scary because it's really deep. It's really personal. It can be really emotional. For the rest of this time today, I'm not talking necessarily about transactional accountability. I'm talking about relational accountability. And I just want to clearly state here, the goal, the goal of any such relational accountability is so that God can be honored and so that the person, particularly the Christian, I'm speaking here within the body of Christ, the Christian can experience the goodness of God and live a life that is pleasing to him and joyful for them. That's the real, true purpose of biblical accountability. It is not so that we can play gotcha with people who mess up. It is so that they can experience God's grace, God's love, God's mercy. Let me, let me show you from the letter of Jude, if you, if you got your Bibles, it's right near the back. It's the last one before the book of Revelation. Let me show you from the book of Jude what he has to say about this idea of accountability. Let me, a little bit of back, backdrop. It's, it's likely written, we don't know for certain, but it's likely written by Jude, who is the brother of Jesus. Half, half brother of Jesus. Different dad. Incarnation, long story. But... Uh, and actually, what's interesting is we, we say Jude. His name is really Judah. Judah is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Very common name. Judah, Jude, Judas are all the same name. Very common name. So it's, it's, he's called Jude to try to differentiate him from those Judas guys. Okay? But you can read about him in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 6. And what's uh, intriguing to me is Jude did not originally believe that his brother was the divine son of God, the savior of mankind, the long-awaited Messiah promised to Israel by the prophets. Can you blame him? Can you blame him for having a little bit of skepticism at first? But we see that after the resurrection, Jude and, and James, another of Jesus' brothers, and his family, they all, they all follow They all place their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior and Messiah. And so he writes this letter to warn against false teachers. You can read that back in in verse 3. He says, I want to write to you to warn you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all time to the saints of God. False teachers have come in. They're starting to say things about Jesus that aren't true. And Jude says, hey, 
I want to hold you accountable to the true faith. Don't fall into their way of thinking. Don't follow their belief system. Let's be accountable. I will mention this. It's just because it's fun and I couldn't sleep tonight if I didn't mention just how controversial the book Jude is. It's, it's, it's really interesting. You guys, if you know me at all, you know that I love chasing down rabbit trails and I don't have time today, but I at least wanted to let you know that they're there. And if you have time this week, you can chase them down. There's things like he quotes from Peter or maybe Peter quotes from him. Like there's the exact same verses in second Peter and Jude and who's quoting from who. And Jude quotes from the Apocrypha, like the book of Enoch and weird things like that. And there's, you know, there's like, uh, you know, Balaam's era and Kor's rebellion. And there's all sorts of strange things mentioned in here. It's very fun there. I got it off my chest. Okay. But the real question he's trying to answer is what do we do with those who have followed these false teachers? So most of this letter is very short letter. He's addressing the content itself. And at the very end, he says, here's what we're going to do about those who have bought in to the false teaching. Let's start in verse 20. He says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay, before we go, to practice accountability with someone else. Before we go in to bring some correction or to bring some guidance and direction, he says, first of all, you got to check your own heart. You got to check your own life. You need to be built up in the gospel. If you are not built up in the gospel, friends, you cannot practice true accountability with somebody else. I, I just, the nature of the human heart is such that it will almost always just slide into something like control or frustration. We in and of ourselves do not have enough grace to really practice accountability with someone else. So we must be built up in the most holy gospel. If you'll allow me to just push pause on that for a minute, because Jude just kind of says that, but but let me, let me just remind you of the gospel through the lens of accountability. If you want to, you can flip over with me to the book of Romans in chapter 3, where the apostle Paul says that the law speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You see our word there? For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Here's what Paul is saying. Dear humans, when you come across the law, the law is given as a bar. The law is given as a standard that you must meet. And at the end of the age, every human being will be held accountable to God. We will stand before the great white throne, the judgment seat of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will give an account for every single thing that we have ever done, every word that we have ever spoken, every thought that we've ever thought, and every motive of our hearts that has led to any of those other things. Anyone feeling the weight here in the room? You should. Because he says, if you really thought about it, every mouth would be stopped. 
You'd clap your hand over your mouth. You would say, woe is me. I have nothing to speak. I have nothing to say because I have fallen so far short of God's standard of righteousness and God's standard of holiness. Friends, if, if you and I today just pretend for a moment, I know, it's, I know you know where I'm going to go with this, but pretend for a moment you did not know about the perfect life of Jesus and the sacrificial death and the resurrection of the Son of God and the offer of grace. Pretend like you didn't know about that and you just came across this verse. You will give an account before God. If that doesn't fill your heart with at least some sort of fear and dread, you might not be paying attention either to God or to your own life. These are weighty matters. Accountability is the starting point of the conversation before we can even get to the gospel. The whole world will be head held accountable by God. We read it in our, in our uh, scripture earlier in the worship time in, in chapter 14. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Which is what makes the good news when you flip the page and go over to Romans 4. Paul is talking about Abraham. And he says that Abraham had faith in God. And therefore it, Abraham's faith, was credited to him as righteousness. Wow, that's a big deal. Abraham had faith in God. He trusted in the promises of God and it was given to him as a credit. Now, it was credited to him. This quotation was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Friends, this news could not be better. This news could not be better. That even though we have accrued a great debt, the, the, the credit card statement of our spiritual bankruptcy has come in the mail, but written across it in the blood of the perfect son of God is the words paid in full. How awesome is that? And we activate that. We access that by placing our faith in the one who died and rose again. That Jesus lived the life that none of us have lived. He died in our place for our sins and he rose again from the dead. I have been there with people who have received a, a financial gift like this from a hospital, from a credit card. They've been freed of their financial debt. Friends, if we could truly understand the good news of the gospel, you wouldn't be able to contain us in our joy and in our song and in our loving response to God. Amen? This is such good news that the gospel is that we're credited the righteousness of Christ. So someday when we stand before that throne of judgment, we have nothing to fear. Our judgment day already took place when Christ died on the cross. And the gospel continues that not only are we forgiven of our trespasses, but there is reward for us. None of the punishment and all of the reward. Now this, sometimes when me or a preacher or somebody starts talking about the gospel of grace, we can hear that and then we start to say, well, then don't ever talk about efforts or working or rewards or any of that kind of stuff. And let me, let me just say this very clearly. The gospel is pure grace. 
We cannot earn God's forgiveness. We cannot earn God's love. We cannot work our way into right relationship with him. That is the foundation of the gospel. Can I get an amen from anybody here? But from that foundation, Jesus himself instructs us to work because there are rewards that will be given in heaven. Like in Matthew 16 here, where he says, you know, in verse 27, the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. I could take you to a dozen different verses. Luke chapter six, where he says, you know, to to love your enemies, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great. I don't know what heavenly rewards look like. It uses the language of treasures and crowns and things like that in the Bible. I don't know if it's literally a pile of treasure or crown. All I know is that Jesus says there is reward for obedience and faithfulness. This is not how you become a Christian. This is not how you, you do not earn your salvation. You don't earn your forgiveness. But from that place, we then will have an accountability session with Jesus to show how we have used the good gifts that he's given to us. You you with me on this? This is the gospel. Build yourself up in the most holy faith, Jude says. If we don't get this, we can't go into relationships of accountability. Go back to those verses in Jude for a minute, if you would. It says this, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. This is all about getting yourself ready for this conversation. How many of you know, if you're not praying in the Spirit, you're not going to be able to go into an accountability type of conversation with any sort of love or grace or patience or any of those other things. You, you, you need to pray first. And he says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Do you, do you understand how loving God is? No, you don't. And I don't. Like how loving is, just, just take a moment, think in your heart, think in your mind. How much does God love you? Keep going. More, more. Like keep yourselves in the love of God. Can you go into an accountability type of conversation without just drinking deeply of how much God loves you? You're so loved. They're so loved. We're all so loved by Jesus. That really helps to strip away some of the weirdness that can enter into those types of conversations. He says, patiently well, he doesn't say patiently, but waiting for the mercy. That, that word waiting, to me, it just always implies patience. How many of you love waiting? It requires patience. Waiting, patiently waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How many of you need more patience with the people that you're trying to hold accountable? How many of you parents need more patience with the children that you are trying to hold accountable? If we're not asking God to help us wait for his mercy. We're going to go into these conversations with a wrong heart, wrong attitude, wrong mindset. So this is all about getting yourself ready, okay? Build yourself up in the gospel. My deepest place of fear from the the most, uh, uh, the biggest accountability I could ever have to give has already been dealt with in the blood of Jesus Christ. So now I'm free to build myself up in love, to pray, to practice patience, and now to go into these conversations with a totally different heart and a totally different mindset. Now, he's going to say, when you go into these conversations, we need to evaluate wisely who we're speaking to. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Number two, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think Pastor Kyle referenced that verse last week. That's his firefighter verse. 
to others, show mercy with fear. Some translations say mixed with fear. Hating even the garment stained by flesh. Jude, remember this context is people are following false teachers. They're falling away. They're not staying true to the the gospel that Jesus lived and taught and the apostles taught. They're, They're wandering. They're messing up. They're going all over the place. And so Jude says, okay, we need to think about three categories of people. The first one is those who doubt. These are, these are just the tenderhearted, the, the, the ones who are struggling. Think about, think about who's writing this. This is Jude, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, who doubted that his brother was the son of God. And he says, hey, have mercy on such people. Some people need to be held accountable, but with a lot of tenderheartedness. Have mercy on those who doubt. Let me, let me just say this. Every single sin that you and I commit has doubt in it somewhere. Because if we truly believed in the goodness of God, if we truly believed the promises of God, we wouldn't sin we would always run to Jesus to satisfy the longings of our heart. So every sin you commit has doubt in it somewhere. And some people are, they're, they're struggling. They're doubting. I, oh, I just, I need some help. I'm coming to you. Will, you. will you walk with me? Will you help hold me accountable? Jude says, be merciful to those people. I will tell you one of the, the things that, that breaks my heart sometimes, particularly with men. We see this with men. You know, I believe in a good rough and tumble, you know, men's group, men's accountability group. I, I've participated in a good handful of those myself over the years. But it is a sin when somebody, men, when some man comes to you and says, hey, I, I need some help, I need some love, and I need some prayer. And you go into it with a fist. That is not honoring the heart of God in that situation. It's not some badge of honor for you men to go into, you know, Every men's accountability group with the mentality of like a, a, a well-placed kick to the groin. That's not biblical accountability. If someone's just struggling and they need some help, they need some, some support, show them mercy. Category two, now here's where kind of the tough love comes in. He says, snatch, save others by snatching them out of the fire. This is someone who's just wayward and they don't get it. <laughs> I almost want, I put the wayward there. I wanted to put the dummy because it's like, it's like someone who's just like headlong and they're just running and they just don't get it. And, and this language of like, grab them. I think of uh, like a young child who is running into a parking lot and that mother's instinct, the father's instinct, you just grab them and you pull them back. This is kind of what's going on here. This is somebody who you, you look at them and they're like, man, They're not coming asking for help. They're not someone who's just kind of struggling and wavering with doubt. This is someone who is heading into the fire and they're convinced that it's not the fires of hell. They think it's the beach or something else warm, you know? Oh, it's warm. I'm I'm just running. Like, no, you're, you're in danger. You go get them. There is a time and a place for a, hey, buddy, I love you. Knock it off. The third category is the one that's, really tough. He says, for others, you need to show them mercy mixed with fear 
hating even the garment that has been stained by the flesh. This is the category of, of, it's called a polluted. And this is someone who seems to have just kind of given themselves over to sin. They're not, they're not just being dumb and like kind of ignorant. They're not showing up with a tender heart, help me. They're just kind of running after these false teachers or whatever their sinful desire is. And, and Jude says, show the mercy, but there's a fear element in there too. It's, it's almost like, kind of keep a little bit of distance. You can show them mercy. You can be gracious. You can be tender towards them, but you're going to need to watch out so that they don't drag you down into their mess as well. And some of you are like, oh, that's too mean. That's too harsh. A polluted person. We, the, people use this language in our culture of, of a toxic person. How is that not more offensive than a polluted person, right? Toxic, like they're glowing or something, right? There's just some people, Judah's saying, that you're going to need to keep a healthy distance. Now, there's some implications from this, okay? Let me walk you through these quickly. A few things I think that we, we need to see, we need to remember as we're looking at our own hearts being prepared. And as we enter into these conversations, the first one I want to remind you is we always want to practice accountability as an act of love. Friends, particularly my, my merciful and tender-hearted friends, it is not loving to let someone destroy themselves. It is not loving to keep your mouth silent when you have an opportunity to speak the truth in love. Again, for those of you who are drawn to accountability and yeah, let's get them, let's get them. You might need to pray and repent and just, you might need to keep your mouth silent or you might need to go get someone else and say, hey, I've noticed this thing. I don't trust myself. I feel like I'm probably too strident or aggressive or something. Could you please go talk to them or could we go together? But practice accountability as an act of love. Number two, remember to count the cost. If you're going to enter into a relationship of accountability, this is not a one and done thing. One and done is just a confrontation. Accountability implies a long-term relationship. You know, think about what Jude says. Uh, Show mercy to those who doubt. Do you think that means I'm going to show somebody who's doubting mercy one time and then boom, their doubts are all done and they never doubt anymore? Or do we all kind of wrestle through stages of doubt and I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you, do you know people? Do you know humans? We're all struggling in these ways. We're all practicing growth and progress. It's an ongoing thing. So you need to count the cost. If you're going to love somebody and, and practice accountability, think about the longer term picture. Number three, you're going to need to pray and specifically you're going to need to pray for courage. Okay, Nobody, let me, let me qualify this. Very few people wake up in the morning thinking, what kind of uncomfortable, awkward conversation could I have today? Again, there's a few of you weirdos out there. And I'm more in that direction than probably most people. And even I know, I don't like to have to sit and say to another brother and sister in Christ, like, hey, you're sinning. You're messing up. You need to change. Nobody likes that. That's not like a, a fun Tuesday afternoon. So you're going to need to pray specifically for courage to speak up and to say something. God, would you help me find the right time? Would you help me to know the right tone? 
to speak the truth and love to this person in an ongoing sense. Number four, you're going to need to persevere through the setbacks. Maybe there's somebody that you thought was in category one and the deeper you get in, you find out now that maybe they're more category three or, or maybe you speak it to them and they respond and then it's, it's two steps forward, one step back. You got to persevere. Friends, Jesus persevered for us. Jesus said yes over and over and over to the will of his father all the way to death on a cross. We can persevere. I want to encourage you. It's, it's not just counting the cost and having the courage to enter into that, but the courage to persevere. Relationships are messy. Relationships take a long time. Relationships, but you know what the good news is? Jesus is the one working behind the scenes and all of that. So, so keep persevering. And then lastly, one other thing I think is a, an important implication of this, especially this idea of the some who have, you know, they're, you show mercy, but it's mixed with fear. You have to not take on their role or take on what belongs to them. As an accountability partner, you are there as a friend, as a support, as one who can speak the truth and love, but you can't fix them. There's a verse in Galatians. It's, I won't read it, but in Galatians chapter six, the first verse, he says, bear one another's burdens. And that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. So he says, you got to bear each other's burdens, carry each other's load. And then by the time you get to the fifth verse, he says, everyone will have to carry their own load, their own burden. Bear one another's burdens. Everyone has to carry their own burden. And you're like, Paul, which one is it? The answer is yes. You are there to help them, to love them, to lift them up, to serve them and support them. But biblical accountability isn't doing it for them. You are not the Holy Spirit. You can't transform a human heart. Heath Lambert is an author and a biblical counselor. He says this on this subject. He says, the responsibility to confess sin and expose the darkness lies with the person who has committed the sin. It's not the job of spiritual mentors to go on a fishing expedition to reel in a confession from those they're trying to help. A person who is passively waiting to provide answers to specific questions is in a far different place spiritually than a person who's willing to take the initiative to expose their struggles in the pure light of day. In other words, keep the responsibility where it belongs and simply invite the person to share where they have sinned and need help. Can you guys hear that? You can't go too far. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not Jesus. That's where Jude wraps this up in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Whew. Can you guys, can you guys just have like a, like a, oh, praise God. Who's the one that's going to keep? Man, I tell you what, at, at my worst, as a pastor, I, I, I feel this way. Okay, I, I, I just, I'm going to, I'll do this. Okay. I was having a conversation with somebody recently and I found out that they go to a different church and then they said some things and they said some stuff and I was like, Bleh. and I had all this like judgment about the church that they went to and like, man, who's discipling them and who's keeping them accountable? I'm like, where are they? How could they say that? I'm just telling you guys, I'm being accountable right now to you guys. But in that moment, God was so gracious to remind me, what about the people from your church? What kinds of things are they doing and saying? I was like, oh no. And then I had this, (laughs) you guys, I'm just telling, I'm just being transparent. I had this moment where I I was thinking about these verses like, okay, 
the pressure's off me. As a pastor, I want to love you and serve you, and I'll speak hard words to you if if the opportunity arises. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus Christ who is able to keep us from stumbling, and he himself will present us one day before God at the throne of judgment, blameless. Man, I can't do that. Community group leaders, you can't do that. Spouses, parents, you can't do that. Only Jesus is able to present us blameless. This is the best news I've heard all day. He is the one that will walk alongside us. He is the one that will convict us. He is the one that will shape us. He is the one that will grow us. He is the one that will tenderly and lovingly show us mercy. He is the one that will grab us by the shoulders when we're just running headlong towards the fire. He's the one that's able to do it. We, anything that we do is just coming alongside Jesus is in his invitation to follow him in the work that he is doing. Man, when you hear that good news, yeah, you start worshiping to the only God, our savior, Jesus Christ, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I can't do it. Only Jesus can. That's good news. So let's be the kind of church that goes into those conversations of accountability, knowing that the pressure's off. I can love you. You can love me. We can speak difficult words together. We can walk through these seasons of life knowing that the gospel, that the, the, the deepest place of fear where we might have over being held accountable has already been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. And he's the one that's going to present us pure and blameless before God one day. Case closed. Will you pray with me? God, I ask that you'd shape us. You'd grow us as individuals and as a church community to be able to practice accountability in a a truly gospel-centered way. God, would you forgive me and forgive others here for those times where we've taken too much on? We've tried to force people to change. We've tried to force people to grow. Would you forgive us for those times where we could have said a word and we we, we, we didn't. We were silent. We, we didn't love our brothers or our sisters well. Would you build us up in the most holy faith? Would you build us up in the gospel that we would know that our deepest debts have been paid in full by the blood of Jesus? And as we head to this time of celebrating the Lord's table, would you build us, would you use just this act of eating and drinking to remind us of the grace of God that we've received In Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing in a moment. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, and Pastor Jamin's going to lead us in that. Thanks, Pastor Aaron. I'm going to read from from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When I'm thinking of verse 28 there, when it says for us to examine, examine ourselves, 
just reflecting back on what Pastor Aaron has shared, um, we first have to remember we get to reflect on ourselves because of what Jesus did for us. As, as, as was said, he already knows all of our sins. He knows everything we did. And we get to freely confess that to him because he paid that price for us on, on the cross. Our, our sins, the price was already paid for our sins. So for that directive of us examining ourselves, now we get to. That enables us to. We get to think, is there a time when, when I was, somebody was trying to help me and speak truth to me and I, I, I shrugged it off. I didn't take it seriously. I took offense when I could have, should have examined myself and should have thanked the person for lovingly talking to me. Also, on the other side, is there a time when the Holy Spirit was convicting you to speak truth to somebody else? Help them, hold them accountable out of love, and you, and you, and you didn't. Or there could be another time when you felt that conviction, but you actually didn't have, you didn't have the right heart and you hurt somebody because you weren't doing it out of love. For any of those things, pray about that and ask, ask the Lord for repentance, for forgiveness. You can now go ahead and partake in the Lord's Supper and afterwards sing and praise with us.